It's been several weeks since I've been with you. I'm happy to be with you again, and nothing says happiness quite like uh, jelly beans on a bow tie. So here we are. It's, uh, it's the jelly bean bow tie day. Um, today we're looking at the book of Philippians, chapter 4, a few verses that as we hear them read, if you haven't had time to, to meditate on them, it'll seem a little random, like it's kind of this strange list of why did those things get said together. We're going to hear about conflict. We're going to hear about anxiety. We're going to hear about some virtues that if we would practice them would lead to the common good, but with the implication that we live in a world where people aren't good at that. We live in a world where there's plenty of hostility toward the common good. The good news that we're going to hear is that conflict can be replaced with joy, and that instead of anxiety, we can have peace. And instead of living in ways that undermine the common good, we can actually live lives of faithfulness despite all kinds of pressure and temptation. How is it possible that all those things could be replaced with these good things? Let's find out together. Our elder Jim Wirt is going to read for us. If I had known it was jelly bean on the tie day, I would have been more festive. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, verses 2 through 9. I entreat Euodia, and I entreat Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment and pray for help in deeply understanding and living what God has to teach us today. Lord, this is our prayer. Your word is not something we can just tune out if we are your children. Um, We want to understand what you are saying to us, and we want to practice what you are teaching us. Give us your Holy Spirit to help us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I have several questions for you today. Uh, one of them is, uh, don't, you don't have to shout it out, 
just yet, but uh, what's the Olympic motto? Now, while you're coming up with your answer, I'm going to get something I forgot. Um, the Olympic motto. What is the Olympic motto? Okay, you get bonus points if you could say it in Latin, right? Um, it's three words, right? Which three words? Doing everything faster. What comes next? Higher, stronger. Right, so um, in Latin, kitius, altius, fortius, faster, higher, stronger. The idea is that for athletes, always trying to improve the ER, right? Faster, stronger, higher, always trying to improve, always trying to get better. There's a temptation, I think, to, to misunderstand Christianity as though it had a motto kind of like that, to misunderstand the Christian scriptures of the Old and New Testaments as though they were saying to us, get better, get better. So we hear Paul say to these two women, Euodia and Syntyche, agree, and get better at agreeing with each other, get better at loving each other. And then we hear this call in verse 4 to rejoice in the Lord. And it's so important. I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. Get better at being happy. And if you can't really agree with each other, fake it. If you can't really be happy, fake it. Get better at faking it. And then we read this long list of virtues about being true and honorable and just and pure and lovely. Get better at being good. Just get better. And if you can't get better... Just fake it. That's, that's how a lot of people think Christianity works. What good news. No. <laughs> no. These are really serious problems, problems of conflict and anxiety. And living in a world where people pursue the opposite of what's true and honorable and just and pure and lovely, where we live in ways that are hostile to the common good, those are real problems, and they're too serious to say get better will be the solution. So let's look for a deeper solution. Now, this is a toddler sermon. You ever heard a toddler tell a joke? You know how it goes? It starts out with, I have a joke for you, and then the punchline comes, right? I have a joke for you. Aren't you glad I'm not a banana? Knock, knock. Wait, wait, that's not how this joke is supposed to work. The punchline doesn't come first. But if you're three or four, yeah, the punchline comes first. So this is one of those sermons. The punchline comes first. The answer to all the questions is first. And, and it's right here. I, this is not higher, stronger, better today. So let's just ditch the slides, and I'm going to get ditch this. Um. Here's the answer to all the questions. We find everything that we're longing for in the Lord. Now, you can get so sidetracked by the emphasis in these verses of this letter written to a church in Philippi centuries ago by the Apostle Paul 
a focus on conflict, these, these two leaders not agreeing with each other, a call to rejoice, and, um, and, and, and the idea of not being anxious about anything. You can hear in these details kind of this, ooh, there are all these challenges and we got to get better. But if we listen carefully, we hear that everything we're longing for is to be found in the Lord. Verse 2, I, I plead with Euodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. And, and then we find in verse 4 the same rhythm, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. What kind of rejoicing? Rejoice how? Rejoice this way, in the Lord. Uh, the end of verse 5, wh whatever we're called to uh, in terms of re let our reasonableness be known to everyone. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. How do we practice that? Well, it's based on this. The Lord is at hand. L let this part of your character be known because because of something about the Lord. He is near, and that makes all the difference, right? And we read verse 6, don't be anxious about everything, but in everything, pray. Oh, all right, when I'm anxious, I should pray. And then we miss the end of verse 7 that says, hey, when you pray, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's something about all, all, taking all that anxiety to God in prayer that's connected to being in Christ. And it's the peace of God that is given to us. And that's how the whole passage ends, verse 9. Whatever you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, the Apostle Paul says, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. This is not a call to be better. It's not a call to try harder. It's not a call to do more because the doing more is the solution. The answer, the solution, everything we're longing for isn't found in getting better. It's found in getting connected to our glorious Redeemer God. And that's what this phrase, in the Lord, means. It's not just Christian jargon. It can sound like that, right? Sometimes Christian people can use language like this in a way that we don't often explain what we mean, and then it sort of becomes just sort of filler language. Rejoice in the Lord. Oh, all I heard was rejoice. Peace will guard your heart and mind in the Lord. All I heard was peace guarding the heart and mind. The, the filler gets left out. But this is not filler Christian jargon. To be in the Lord means to live all of life by Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, because of Jesus Christ. It's language that, that means we're connected to him. We are joined to him. If you're a grammar nerd, uh, this is, um, you know, the preposition in, in Greek, with the dative case that has to do with association. So it's all about association, connection, belongingness together. It means we're so closely connected to Jesus in the Lord language, in Christ language, in the New Testament means we are so closely connected to Jesus that God refuses to think of us apart from one another. 
your Father, if your faith is in Jesus and you are in the Lord and you're living life in the Lord, then your Father has said, I will never think about my Son without also thinking of you. And I will never think of you without also thinking of my Son. So every time, this is the Father saying, you are in the Lord. Every time I think of how delighted I am with my Son, I will think of how delighted I am with you. And every time I think of the ways that you have failed morally, spiritually, you have not been all that you should be, I will think of my son and all that he has done to forgive you and pardon you. I will never think about your failings, your sins, without thinking of him also. I promise you, I will, there's, there's no distance between you. I'm all, you're so connected, joined, associated with one another in the heart of God that you will never think of one without the other. When I ask the question, what have you accomplished in this world? What good have you done? I will always think of all that my son has accomplished. I will always ask that question about your accomplishments in light of his accomplishments. And when I ask, what resources do you have to face the challenges of life in this world? I will always think of the resources that my son has available to him through the Holy Spirit. I will never think of you without thinking of my son, Jesus Christ. I will never think of him without also thinking of you. That's what it means to be in the Lord. And that changes how we answer all these questions. Toddler sermon, right? The answer came first and then come the questions. The answer is... Everything we're longing for, we will find it in the Lord. What are the questions? Here's the first one. How can we find joy in the face of overwhelming challenges? So verse 4 says, rejoice in the Lord. It's so important. I'll say it again. Rejoice. How do we find joy in the middle of overwhelming challenges? What were some of the challenges facing the church in Philippi when Paul wrote these words? Let's remember, Paul himself is in prison. So one of the greatest leaders of the church is on the sidelines, so to speak. He is in prison. False teachers are working their way from the eastern Mediterranean basin toward Greece and Rome, and they are coming to Philippi, and Paul has warned the church there. And chapter 1, verse 27 is this great summary, Right? He says, uh, be ready to stand firm in one spirit, striving against these opponents mentioned in verse 28. False teachers are coming, and it's going to be hard, and be ready, and stand firm, and be united. But actually, the church is split by factions forming around these two women named Euodia and Syntyche. Paul says in verse 3 that they are members of his missionary team. They have labored side by side together with me in the gospel. They are fellow workers of mine. Their names are written in the book of life, but they're not agreeing with one another. And the tension that's building around them is threatening to divide the whole church. You could have had such high hopes for this church in this city this Roman colony of Philippi, and then look at all these things and go, what a mess. 
The leadership is AWOL in prison somewhere, hundreds of miles away. False teachers are coming, and we are just divided and split. What hope do we have? How do we find joy in that? Well, we don't. There's no joy in that. There's joy in the Lord. We find joy because of Jesus. We start to ask even, even in the face of these kinds of challenges, even if we are a people, a community, divided, uh, challenged in leadership, even if we are under persecution and our leaders face imprisonment, even if those who claim to be part of the Christian community are actually undermining it through drawing our attention away from Christ to something else, as these false teachers were doing in the first century we have reasons for joy because of Jesus. Because Jesus is the Son of God who voluntarily came into our world, took on our weakness, our flesh and blood, in order to be everything we cannot and were not, so that our Father could be just as pleased with us as He is with His only Son. Wow, that's plenty to be joyful about. When this Lord is near, I can be gracious and forbearing toward other people. That's what verse 5 says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. There's another way to translate that. Uh, translators have always struggled with how to translate the word that you see in the ESV here. It says reasonableness. Other translations say gentleness. It's a word that, that means, um, it, it, it's, when you say reasonableness in English, it sounds like you're a person who's capable of making good sense and using rational logic. Or when you ask for something, you don't ask for too much. Your requests are reasonable. But this has to do with, in moments of relational conflict and tension, the kind of reasonableness that's gracious, the kind of gentleness that says, the rules are on my side, and I'm in the right, but I'm not going to insist on having my way. I I'm going to be reasonable, patient gracious in conflict. Why? How? Because the Lord is near. Because there's something about Jesus that enables me to be gracious and to set aside what is owed to me. Because I've looked at Jesus and I've seen the way that he endured things that he didn't deserve in a very patient and gracious way for the sake of loving others. And now I'm willing to do that. I can find joy in Jesus that's great enough that I can be gentle when everything about the rule says I get to be harsh. I'm going to be gracious and forbearing because I'm in the Lord and I have joy in Him. And that can start to heal the kind of conflict we see between these two women in verse 2. I entreat Yodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord it doesn't say agree with each other because each of you thinks the other is perfect. 
It doesn't say agree with each other because you've just decided to act like you're ignorant of one another's faults and failings. It says agree because you both believe Jesus is bigger than you are and he loves you both. And when he was in the right, he let himself be treated like he was in the wrong. Agree with one another in the Lord. When that kind of Jesus is nearby, we can find lots of reasons for joy that have nothing to do with us and everything to do with him. Next question, how do we find peace in times of anxiety? Well, that's an easy one. You have peace when you get what you pray for. Isn't that what Paul said? Isn't that what the scriptures teach? No, it's not. Notice, listen to the text again. It doesn't say you get peace because God gives you everything you ask for. Not what it says. Verse 6, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, that means asking, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say, I'll have peace when I get everything I'm asking God for. It doesn't say, I'll have peace because I pray more than my pagan neighbors. It doesn't say, I'll have peace because I got better at praying. I took a 12-week class on prayer, and now I'm really good at it, and now I'll have peace. It says, we'll have peace in Christ Jesus because Jesus unites us to a Father who is committed to our peace. That's why I'll have peace. I'll have peace because my weaknesses and my worries and my needs have all been laid bare before the Father, and they are known to Him, and He is infinitely God, and He is infinitely Father, and He is infinitely good, and that's where the peace comes from. It's not the peace of knowing I will get everything I want because I said the magic words. And it's not the piece of boasting that says, I'm better at praying than you are. And that's why you're depressed and anxious and I have good mental health. That's, that is the opposite of what Scripture is telling us. Our peace doesn't come from our being better or stronger or faster. <laughs> our peace comes from knowing that Jesus has done everything necessary to make it possible for us to stand before the Father and say with all honesty, this is how weak I am. I am so weak that I am anxious about these things. I am so unwise that, that I, I'm anxious to know the best way forward, and I don't know it. And still he's your Father, even when he knows all your weaknesses. That's where peace will come from. That's the beginning of the answer to anxiety. Is knowing that we are in the Lord, even in our weakness. One last question. How can we live as faithful minorities in a hostile culture? Let me describe for you for a moment 
the context in which the first century church existed. It will sound to you a lot like the 21st century. The church was a minority movement. When we lived in Aberdeen, Scotland, um, a, a survey was taken about religious commitment and discovered that the city we lived in was the most secular city in all of Britain and um, recent reading that seems to still be the case. Only 11% of the people in the city where we lived claimed any sort of religious affiliation. Anything, anything beyond atheism, 11%. When you reduce that down to how, how many people in that city claimed connection with Jesus, closer to 4%. If you had lived in the first century in Philippi, bring it on down to maybe 0.1%, even smaller, right? Christianity was, in the first century, a minority movement. In many parts of the world, it is. There may have been moments in some cultures and countries when we'd say it wasn't a minority, but I think if you live in Atlanta in the 21st century, you're going, hmm, this is what it feels like to be in the minority. This is not strange for our people. We, we, we've been here before. Living in a powerful culture that doesn't understand our beliefs, Romans didn't get Christianity doesn't understand our practices. Romans thought the Lord's Supper was cannibalism. You're eating flesh, you're drinking blood. You commit incest. You love your brothers and sisters. Ew, that's gross. And so it's not just a powerful culture that doesn't understand. It often rejects and ridicules our beliefs and practices and sees us as the backward, immoral atheists of the world. R Greek and Roman people thought Christians were atheists because they only believed in one God when there are thousands of gods out there to believe in. And here we are trying to be faithful to love Jesus and love our neighbors in the middle of that kind of environment. How do we do it? How do we live as faithful minorities in a culture that in many ways doesn't understand rejects, ridicules, and is hostile toward what we believe and how we live. Verses 8 and 9 give us a blueprint for that. You'd find it all over the Bible, throughout the Old and New Testaments, all over the Bible. But let's look at just these two verses. Number one, we affirm what we can. All of the virtues listed in verse 8 are common good virtues. Nothing that is said here would be objectionable to a first-century citizen of Philippi. These were well-known Greek and Roman values taught by their religions and their philosophers. Dwell on what's true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable, excellence, praiseworthiness. Those are the things we should think about. If you stood in the public square in Philippi and said that, Nobody would say, ooh, weirdo, that person must be a Christian. These are common good virtues. So because we're in Christ, one of the things that we can do is to affirm all that we can of the culture in which we live. 
we affirm what we can. There is nothing wrong with being honorable. There is nothing wrong with longing for what is just to be done in our world. There is nothing wrong with saying, let's pursue purity and loveliness and excellence. Now, are we going to agree with all of our neighbors as to what constitutes purity? There's going to be a lot of overlap, but it won't be 100% overlap. Will we agree with all of our non-Christian neighbors about what constitutes excellence? There's going to be a lot of overlap. It won't be 100%, but let's affirm what we can. And yet we seek all of these things in the Lord because of Christ, through Christ, in connection with him. How do we know that? Let's read verse 9. Here's the Apostle Paul saying, hey, y'all in Philippi, practice these kinds of things, the kinds of things you have learned from me, the kinds of things you've received from me and heard in me and seen in me. And they knew this apostle was a man who was radically dedicated to Christ in everything. So it sounds a bit like he's contradicting himself, right? On the one hand, I live this life that is fully centered on Jesus. Don't separate me from Jesus in any area of life. I want everything I think and do to be passed through the grid of who Jesus is. And also, it's okay to affirm these common good virtues and values held by people who disagree with you, even in matters of religion. Interestingly, Paul mentions a woman named Syntyche in verse 2. Um, Syntyche means uh, with luck, almost like uh, may luck go with you, may you go with luck, right? Uh, Tike was the uh, Greek goddess of fortune. Her Latin name was Fortuna, right? And so sun means with. So this would be roughly the equivalent of, of having a church leader named Lucky and um, named after another god. You know, it's like, oh, here's, our, here's our new assistant pa- uh, pastor, Muhammad, right? We would know immediately that this woman grew up knowing nothing about Jesus. She grew up in a a Roman Greek pagan household. She's named after a goddess. And yet the apostle Paul loves her so much that he says, I want to share with you this, this religion that I know you don't agree with. You've never heard of it. I want to talk to you about Jesus. And everything you've been taught to seek and long for, kind of this life that has blessings poured out on it, called luck or fortune or fate. Let me tell you where you really find that kind of goodness and blessing. You find it in Jesus Christ. And he didn't say to her, now that you're a Christian, you have to change your name. We affirm everything we can about the culture we live in, maybe even names that remind us of other religions. And we know our neighbors well enough that we can have deep conversations about Jesus. Once we find out that Jesus is the good that the whole world is longing for, if the world is longing for what is true, will they find it? Christian, you will find it in Jesus. If you're not a Christian, 
You will find it in Jesus. The whole world is longing for what's honorable and just and pure and lovely and excellent and worthy of praise. If you believe in Jesus, you found it in him. If you don't believe in Jesus, you will find it. But you only find it in him. So we affirm what we can and we seek everything we long for in Christ. I asked you a trick question earlier. What's the Olympic motto? The English version is faster, higher, stronger. The Latin version is Citius Altius Fortius. It was adopted in 1894 when the modern Olympic movement was born. Did you know that it was changed this year? A word was added. The Olympic motto now is four words. The fourth word is communis. Now, Latin scholars, don't get the debate started. It's not the best choice, I know. It may not even be in the right um, case. It's nominative, and maybe it should be a different case ending. But that's another conversation for a group of geeks to have. Communis, community, faster together, higher together, stronger together. Let's get there together. I can't be faster, higher, stronger by myself. I need a coach. I need a team. I need supporters. I need other competitors to bring out the best in me. I can't do this alone. I have to be connected to someone else. And here's a place where Christians go. We can affirm this as a common good virtue. Community is good. Being together with other people is good. Cooperation is good. Cooperation across continents and nations and cultures is a good thing. But we can also push beyond that common good virtue and say the resources of the whole human race put together won't solve the problems facing us. Political conflict continues even though we have the Olympics every four or sometimes five years. Put all our resources together. We can't solve the pandemic. We can't get rid of anxiety even though we are together. Becca reminded us, even the best athletes part of the, 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 the community of athletes that are most dedicated to pursuing excellence can't escape the realities of anxiety. Political tensions remain. Hostility to the common good remains. People who are part of the community break the rules of the community. Doping, drug tests, some cyclists are even starting to hide little magnets in the frames of their bicycles to give the wheel just a little boost every time it comes around. But I thought we were in this together. We know that we will not find what we're longing for in ourselves. We will find it in the Lord. We will find joy and peace and this good that the whole world is longing for because of Jesus. So for us, we want to affirm, yeah, we need to be together to get what we're longing for. We need to be connected to someone outside ourselves. We need to be joined to Jesus. 
And then we'll find all that we and the whole world are longing for. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your immensity, that you are big. You are so big that we would never say we fully understood everything that's good about you. You are so immense in your grace that you uh, show pardon and a full acceptance to people who make us nervous and uncomfortable. You are so immense in your holiness and justice that you require more of us than we would require if we were setting the rules. You are immense in every one of your characteristics and attributes, and yet you love tiny, weak, ordinary people like us, and we're staggered by the immensity of that love. We pray in your name. Amen.